Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new edition of The S Factor. I'm your host Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net and I want to welcome you aboard my starship as we travel around the solar system, go into interstellar space a little bit, talk about all things terrestrial and celestial right here on The S Factor. Happy New Year! January 1st, 2022 is upon us. And I bring to you now a brand new edition of The S-Factor. Looking very much forward to 2022. There's so many cool things in the works. There's so many cool things that are available now through my website. I've been hard at work for you creating some new animation, some new science content for you to enjoy, all family-friendly, of course. You can check me out at scienceanimated.net where you can find Science Animated Human Body and also on your favorite podcasting service just type in the s factor podcast you'll find me there which is this show in podcast form and you can also find me on your favorite social media channels facebook.com slash science animated twitter.com slash science animated and now i'm on tiktok how to find me on tiktok at science animated all together no spaces or anything just science animated at science animated on tiktok i've been producing 30 40 second animated shorts. They're all educational. I think you'll enjoy them. So far I have had a snow form. I have some science stand-up on there featuring Saturn. Lots of cool things to check out. Science animated on your favorite social media platforms. So welcome to the S Factor where it's all about science right here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. You can catch me here the first Saturday of every month at one o'clock on this radio dial and your favorite podcasting service. Let's get right into the science news. Following is from Scientific American, cells deep in your brain place timestamps on memories. How does your brain know that this follows that? Two people met, fell in love, and live happily ever after, or sometimes not. The sequencing of events that takes place in our head, with one thing coming after another, may have something to do with so-called time cells recently discovered in the human hippocampus. The research provides evidence for how our brain knows the start and end of memories despite time gaps in the middle. As these studies continue, the work could lead to strategies for memory restoration or enhancement. The research has focused on episodic memory, the ability to remember the what, where, and when of a past experience, such as the recollection of what you did when you woke up today. Is it part of an ongoing effort to identify how the organ creates such memories? I remember I had a professor named Van Youngman in college, and I remember something that he told me. I never forgot this. He told me that we are our memories. Now think about that a second. If your memories are suddenly wiped clean, that, I mean, that makes you who you are. Going through life and having experiences and, and figuring things out, Going through specific events, good and bad, shapes you into the human being that you are today. If you wipe the memory out and all of that's gone, that completely changes the human being. I mean, completely. So we are, yes, we are our memories. And when someone has that horrible disease, dementia, my grandmother suffered with that and It strips away the person's identity. It's one of the worst diseases out there, one of the worst experiences that someone can 
be confronted with. Now, a team led by Leah Reddy, a neuroscience researcher at the French National Center for Scientific Research, sought to understand how human neurons in the hippocampus represent temporal information during a sequence of learning steps to demystify the functioning of time cells in the brain. In a study published this summer in the Journal of Neuroscience, Reddy and her colleagues found that to organize distinct moments of experience, human time cells fire at moments during each task. The study provided further confirmation that time cells reside in the hippocampus, a key memory processing center. They switch on as events unfold, providing a record of the flow of time in an experience. These neurons could play an important role in how memories are represented in the brain, Reddy says. Understanding the mechanisms for encoding time and memory will be an important area of research. While researchers have known about the existence of time cells in rodent brains for decades, they were first identified in the human brain late last year by researchers at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and their colleagues. To better understand these cells, Reddy and her team examined the hippocampal activity of patients with epilepsy who had electrodes implanted in their brain to evaluate a possible treatment for their condition. The subjects agreed to participate in two different experiments after their surgery. During the surgery, the electrodes are inserted through small holes around 2 millimeters in the skull. These holes are sealed until the patients recover from the surgery and are monitored for up to two weeks with the electrodes in place in an epilepsy monitoring unit, or EMU. They record the hippocampal neural activity while the patients are performing tasks in the EMU for a period of about one week after the surgery. Now, in the first experiment, the study participants were presented with a sequence of five to seven pictures of different people or scenes in a predetermined order that was repeated multiple times. A given image, say a flower, was shown for one and a half seconds, followed by half a second pause, and then another image, a dog for instance. In a random 20% of the image intervals throughout the sessions, a parade of pictures stopped and participants had to decide which of two images was the next correct one in the sequence before continuing. The researchers discovered that over the course of 60 repetitions of the entire sequence, all of the time-sensitive neurons fired at specific moments in intervals between quizzes, no matter which image was shown. Now, the researchers could decode different moments in time based on the activity of the entire group of neurons, evidence that the human brain contains time-tracking neurons. We think the population of time cells in the hippocampus is representing several different and overlapping time scales. The activity of these cells is present throughout the trial, providing a timestamp for the event. We don't fully understand how the memory is encoded, but the activity pattern across the hippocampus appears to simultaneously provide us with both the timestamp and the contents of the experience. How cool is that? The findings might explain why some people with damage to their hippocampi, one of which resides in each brain hemisphere, can remember events but have trouble placing them in the right order, a problem for patients with Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative conditions. Hopefully a clear understanding of the cellular con contributions to memory functions will bring us closer to understanding why memory functions are lost in some diseases and how these diseases can be treated. Now this next bit of information reminds me of Elon Musk when he talks about the things Neuralink can do when they wire you up to a computer. One of the things they 
they talk about in the positive sense is that people with prosthetics will be able to move those things with just their thoughts. Like if you have an artificial limb, you'll be able to control that as if it were your original appendage. Now this goes on to say some scientists think this work could assist one day developing memory prosthetics, a technique that would allow a computer to insert or delete memories with electrodes placed in the brain. Such a step would raise ethical issues about the manipulation of memories, but it is probably not close to being realized. Well, this is a different kind of prosthetic. They're calling this memory prosthetics. So this isn't just wiring you up, wiring your brain up so you can move a prosthetic arm. They are actually talking about right here, inserting memories. I guess there would be some ethical questions about that. The potential technology could also be used for treating post-traumatic stress disorder or, or Alzheimer's. It could be tempting to develop such devices so that memories can be deleted or inserted, but I don't see how these devices could be regulated to prevent misuse. I think a more reasonable strategy is to focus our efforts on preventative treatments of memory disorders. So we learned here about time stamps that are on memories, how our brain kind of puts our memories in order of time. And we also learn that they're developing ways to help people that have memory damage by inserting memories in them. What do you think about the ability, and we're not there yet, of course, but what do you think about the idea, the concept of inserting memories into a person and how that could potentially be misused? I want you to contact me. I know this is a pre-recorded show. But you can contact me via email. I love communicating back and forth with my audience here. You can send your emails, your questions to info at scienceanimated.net. Info at scienceanimated.net. Also, I want to send a big thank you out to you guys that, that purchased Science Animated, the Human Body DVD, or the stream. That is a great gift to give, not only during the holiday season, but also any time of year whether it's a birthday, it's a gift of education, it's wholesome family entertainment, and it isn't boring. It's the most exciting educational animation I'm sure you'll ever watch. It's very different and very proud of that production. You can pick that up at scienceanimated.net. Thank you to you guys that have done that. It helped support the show. And also, if you visit scienceanimated.net, you can click the Support Us tab, which supports all things Science Animated. This next story is bound to get just about everyone's attention. China's U-2-2 rover spots cube-shaped mystery hut on far side of the moon. China's U-2-2 rover has spotted a mystery object on the horizon while working its way across Von Karman crater on the far side of the moon. U-2-2 spotted a cube-shaped object on the horizon to the north and roughly 260 feet away in November during the mission's 36th lunar day, according to the U-2-2 diary published by Our Space, a Chinese-language science outreach channel affiliated with the Chinese National Space Administration. The team's scientists have expressed a strong interest in the object, and U-2-2 is now expected to spend the next 2-3 lunar days, which is the equivalent of 2-3 to three months here on Earth, to this object, and avoiding craters to get a closer look now, a likely explanation for the shape would be a large boulder which has been excavated by an impact event. But I'm sure you know the speculation is running rampant. Of course, anybody out there believes in extraterrestrial life, I mean, they see this right away. You know, it sends up some alarms, right? Now, the solar-powered U-2-2 lander made the first ever landing on the far side of the moon on January 3rd, 2019. 
and the rover has been rolling through the 115-mile-wide von Karman crater ever since. Now, the change for Lander, like its name suggests, is China's fourth moon mission and second to deliver a rover on the moon. The change one and two missions were orbiters, with change three landing on the near side of the moon with the first U-2 rover. What an attention-grabbing headline that is, huh? And if you see pictures of this, it is quite odd, and it does look like a cube. This is zoomed in. The resolution isn't great when you're zoomed in this much, but it, it does look like a cube shape. That is so wild. It's going to be very interesting to follow that. That's exciting. It's going to take two to three months to, to really get up to it and see and examine what it is. But, you know, this is uh, what happens when, you know, the big countries of the world, you know, venture out into space. You know, it was the U.S. and Russia racing to the moon originally. Then we end up actually uh, joining Russia and, and going to the International Space Station on their rockets. We did that for a while. Now China's doing their own thing. So, you know who wins in all of this? All this exploration by these different countries is is the people of Earth. We get to see all of this cool stuff and, and see all these new discoveries and something surprising like this. To, to see where this leads is going to be very intriguing. I'd be delighted to know what you have to say about that story. Feel free to email me anytime. Info at scienceanimated.net. I'm going to take a quick time out. You are listening to The S Factor, where it's all about science. And you can catch me here the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock on Cruising 92.1 WVLT and anytime on your favorite podcasting service. And check me out on facebook.com slash Twitter.com slash science animated and now on TikTok at science animated. We'll be right back. A cool song. Welcome back to the S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer of scienceanimated.net. And if you enjoy learning, if you dig science and technology, you have found your home here, right here on the S Factor, the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock on Cruise 92.1 WVLT and your favorite podcasting service. Or check me out on social media Facebook.com slash science animated, Twitter.com slash science animated. And TikTok, you can find me at Science Animated on TikTok as well now. Lots of cool new animations for you to check out on TikTok or my Facebook page. I have a video up now about how snow forms, a video up about Neptune, a video up about 
Saturn, really cool stuff there. There are so many new animations right on the horizon, ready for you to enjoy and share with your family and friends, teachers, if you have homeschoolers, and of course, Science Animated, The Human Body, the DVD or stream can be found at scienceanimated.net as well. So welcome back. Let's dig right into more science news here. This from Wired, growing peppers on the ISS is just the start of space farming. This is a cool story. Think about it. Elon Musk, you've got Jeff Bezos, you have the world's richest people ready to take us into our solar system with the distinct objective of colonizing our planets right here in our very own solar system. Most likely start with the moon and then move forward from there, probably moon, Mars, and so on and so forth. And you know, when you do something like that, you got to figure out how are we going to feed these people? How are the inhabitants of the moon, the future human inhabitants, settlers on the moon or Mars, how are they going to eat? Well, if you watch the movie The Martian, I think with with Matt Damon, you kind of got an idea about how they're going to do that. But let's see what Wired has to say about this. Now, unburdened by the constraints of gravity, red and green peppers jut out of a 45-degree angle inside the artificial plant habitat, a sort of space terranium not much larger than a microwave. Four chili pepper plants stand effortlessly upright despite the dozens of glassy fruits weighing them down. These plants have lived entirely in space. Their leaves have never been chewed on by insects or rustled by the summer breeze. Their stems are unfamiliar with bending towards the sun's arc across the sky. Scissors glint under the tank's white and blue lights as astronaut Mark Vanderhey and his team snip the stems of those that are all ready for harvest. The peppers whirl around their hands until the astronauts catch them and tape them against a board to photograph. Back on Earth, the Planet Habitat 04 team of engineers and plant scientists are observing and conferring with the astronauts. Of the 26 peppers in this batch, only the 14 finest will stay on the International Space Station for consumption. The rest will be wrapped in foil, sealed in a Ziploc bag, then frozen at a brisk 80 degrees until they come roaring back to Earth in the next cargo capsule to be studied later. Now, after the 130-day growth cycle, the astronauts remove the plants from the module and trash them. Project Plant Habitat 04 is complete. Now, since 2014, NASA has experimented with growing lettuce in space, an endeavor that relies on highly specialized technology over 50 years in the making. This fall's two successful pepper harvests in October and November will provide data on the nutritional and psychological benefits of growing vegetables on craft, as well as a crop's ability to reliably produce long-term in microgravity. While controlled environmental agriculture is not new, the experiment represents an evolution in specialized growth habitats. It doesn't aim to recreate Earth's conditions, but to perfect each isolated variable of plant growth in the clinical environment of a spaceship. Now, Lachelle Spencer, a plant scientist at NASA's Kennedy Space Center, played a crucial role in preparing the seeds that were sent hurtling into space in July and guiding the astronauts through maintaining the plants in orbit. When the fruits return, she'll be running their microbiological, molecular, genetic, and nutritional analysis. Though astronauts can spend upwards of 100 days in space, their on-mission meals come dehydrated and prepackaged. Their vitamins and minerals are isolated in supplements. 
which lose nutritional value the longer they're stored. Spencer's goal is to create the conditions necessary for cultivating healthy plants in space so those plants can sustain healthy astronauts on long-term missions. We're going to have human colonies on Mars, etc. They're going to have to master the art of growing food in space. Now, astronaut food, she says, is great, especially the shrimp cocktail, but you're missing that crunch. You're missing that fresh pop of flavor, the green flavors that that's not there in the packaged food. Every aspect of the plant's growth cycle was mechanized. Seeds were planted along with a specifically developed fertilizer in a soil-less clay medium. And each quadrant was equipped with salt-absorbing wicks that protected the seedlings from scorching due to the saline residue of the fertilizer. Once they germinated, the astronauts thinned the plants until there only four remained. The 180-plus sensors controlled every aspect of their growth conditions, including adjusting the colors of the lights to stunt their growth and keep them at a manageable two-foot height. Despite the highly controlled growing environment, microgravity affected the plants in some more unforeseen ways. Without a gravitational tug, the flowers and their pollen-laden stamen grew facing upward. Ironically, that thwarted how the APH was supposed to pollinate them. By using fans that pulsed soft bursts of air meant to mobilize pollen the way a breeze would. Instead, astronauts had to fill in as knockoff bees manually pollinating them one plant at a time. You know, in past S factors, I've talked about the incredible importance of the honeybee and how honeybees, the drones, all the, all the, all they are concerned with is collecting that nectar, bringing it back to the hive, right? We consume the honeys that the bees produce. But as the bees are doing that, as they're going about their business, they're pollinating plants. That is how we get our food. That's how we get most of our grown food. It is from the bees pollinating it. That's why they are so incredibly important. So in this situation, there are no honeybees in space. So the astronauts had to actually manually pollinate. Now, as you can imagine, microgravity also posed challenges to watering. As demonstrated by the Canadian Space Agency, water behaves differently in microgravity than on Earth. Unable to fall, flow, or ascend, water creates a layer enveloping the surface of whatever it clings to. But clinging water can suffocate a plant's roots. Chili peppers don't like their feet wet. Now, bioregenerative practices are the name of the game for long-term space crop production. The challenges astronauts face to farm in space are steep, from lifeless soil and harsh and dusty conditions to water that must either be extracted from ice or brought from earth and recycled. Recycling organic material will be essential for sustained civilization in an environment bereft of soil microbiomes. Earthbound farmers who also seek to restore and maintain soil health have developed regenerative techniques to steward interdependent animal, fungi, and plant ecosystems that recycle organic material, create appropriate growing conditions, and amplify genetic diversity. Now, translating these ideas for space will guide the future of off-planet farming. What do you think about that? So as you can see, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, these billionaires that are pushing us towards the heavens, pushing us towards the stars, where I honestly believe we, we inevitably have to go. Events that are out of our hands, very dangerous things that can happen. There are naturally occurring cyclical earth events that could wipe us out. And there are things that could come from space suddenly. Maybe we would have a warning where we could try to figure out a way to take care of an asteroid or something of that nature. But 
you know, you've got these solar flares that could, that could hit us and knock out our electrical grid. Uh, that actually is something that we should take care of by hardening our grid. But then you have things like, you know, supernova event or rogue planets that might be bouncing around out there. We'll get into that in a little bit. I've talked about those before. My, my, the point is, Earth can be a hazardous place to be. We've been very blessed that nothing has happened here geographically to really knock us off our course in our development as a civilization. But to be on the safe side, just like Professor Hawking's recommended before he passed away, we're going to have to colonize space. We want to put humans on the moon. We want to put them on Mars just to give us a better chance to survive as a species. We should be on more than one planet, more than one place. This research of growing food is essential to that, very much so. I'm going to take another quick time out. You're listening to The S Factor, where it's all about science. If you dig this kind of content, you can check me out on your favorite podcasting service. You can check out all of the past S Factor radio shows, all the topics of which there have been many. I've been on Cruise 92.1 WVLT for a little over two years now. I have talked about all kinds of stuff. You can check all those out. On your favorite podcasting service, just go to whether it's Apple Podcast or Google Podcast, type in The S Factor Podcast, and you'll see me there. Give me a like, give me a share. If you got a long car ride ahead, if, you've got, if you're working out, if you want something cool to listen to, always family-friendly, always thought-provoking, check out The S Factor Podcast, available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'll be right back. Would you like to get into better shape, lose weight, have more energy, be toned, be stronger, be faster, have better endurance? Well, there's a solution. Tawny Fit. Certified personal trainer Tawny Basil is the owner of Tawny Fit. And having Tawny Basil as your personal trainer can help you get the results you're looking for. Now, whether you want to go to a gym with Tawny Basil and have her by your side showing you the right way to do the exercises, coming up with the perfect plan for you with your goals in mind, with your personal goals in mind, that's one way you can do it. Also, if you don't want to leave the home, you can do training virtually with Tawny Basil. She will. She has virtual sessions, so you don't have to leave the comfort of your home. And now she also has a facility where you can come to her in a little private gym, and you can get your workout in that way. So contact Tawny Basil at tawnyfit at gmail.com. That's tawnyfit at gmail.com for rates. And I think you had an offer, by the way, for the S Factor folks, didn't you? With a free session if they mention the show? Absolutely. If we don't you want to mention forget that. the show, you get a free session. Um, you can reach me at 609-674-8077. Text ready. That's right, folks. I'll give you that number one more time. If you want to contact Tawny Basil, text her the message ready to 609-674-8077 or email Tawny. Her email address is tawnyfit at gmail.com. Behind my lips, 
What great tunes there. Welcome back to the S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net. You're listening to me right here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. You can catch me here the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock on this great radio station and your favorite podcasting service. Just type in the S Factor Podcast. Now, as you know, if you've been listening to the show thus far, today we've been talking about a lot of space news. There's so many cool things going on comes to our exploration into the great unknown. Now, did you hear about the James Webb Space Telescope that we're, that we're setting up right now? This is a cool story from The Verge. Now, following the revolutionary and successful launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST, into space on Christmas Day, NASA announced some unexpected news about the telescope's future. Its science mission is likely to last significantly more than 10 years more than double the minimum time for the mission. Now, initially it was projected to be operational for 5 to 10 years, but NASA's latest analysis released today found that the telescope will likely have enough propellant to support scientific operations for even longer. According to NASA, the extra propellant is thanks to the precision of the Orion 5 rocket that the telescope was on when it was launched into space. It is also due to the precision of the first and second mid-course correction maneuvers small trajectory tweaks that the spacecraft has completed in the days since, since launching, setting it on a path towards its destination a million miles from Earth. Think about this, folks. Do you know what this means? This is going to be the most powerful telescope we've ever had. It's out there in space, and its destination is going to be a million miles from Earth. This is a game changer as far as what we're going to be able to see out there in space. According to NASA, the precision of these maneuvers leaves the spacecraft with more propellant it can use to maintain its final position for observing the cosmos. The space agency warns, however, that many factors could ultimately affect the lifespan. The potential extension of scientific research is reminiscent of the Hubble telescope, which is widely considered the James Webb telescope's predecessor. NASA initially projected the Hubble telescope would last about 15 years, but it's still operating today, more than 30 years later. A key difference between the two is that the Hubble Space Telescope was able to be serviced by astronauts. The James Webb Space Telescope that we just sent up on Christmas, that's not going to be the case because it's going to be so far away. Now, the James Webb Space Telescope collects infrared light and is capable of imaging objects 10 to 100 times fainter than what the Hubble can see. Now, the launch trajectory's accuracy also allowed the James Webb Space Telescope to deploy its solar array a bit early. So there is a chance that the James Webb Space Telescope can last much longer than they're projecting. So it's going to depend on a few factors there, but it's going to be so far away we're not going to be able to work on it, but it's going to be astonishing to see what images the James Webb Space Telescope will capture. That's what I mean when I say there's so much exciting news coming out of NASA, and when you think about what these billionaires are doing, like Elon Musk, when it comes to space exploration, I think we're really on the ground floor of something big, or some big moments ahead. Questions, comments about the show? Whether it's about today's show or past shows, you can always email me, info at scienceanimated.net. Email questions or comments to info at scienceanimated.net. I've had some very interesting discussions with 
with my listeners. And it's always a lot of fun. And I appreciate you guys staying in touch that way. Of course, it's a pre-recorded show here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT with the S Factor, but it doesn't mean we can't communicate. And you can also reach out to me on social media platforms. I have new science animated shorts that are playing throughout social media land. So if you want to reach out to me on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash science animated, twitter.com slash science animated, and now I'm on TikTok at science animated. And what you're going to see on the social media channels is like 30 to 45 second science animated shorts that I've been uh, producing. Some cool stuff there on Saturn, on Neptune, on why does snow form. There's more on the way. A lot of ideas, a lot of cool stuff coming your way. If you want to check that out, if you're an educator, if you're a parent, really cool stuff to look at there. And also scienceanimated.net, of course which has Orbit Show and has Science Animated Human Body, which is a 40-minute DVD. You can purchase that to help support the show. It's also available as a stream. It's a little bit cheaper if you want to go that route and more accessible on multiple devices and things of, of that nature. So that helps support the show. And also there's a support us tab there as well, scienceanimated.net. So I came across this next story and I thought it would be super cool for us to experience this together. I have not listened to what I'm about to present to you yet. So we can listen to wild sounds that NASA has recorded from Jupiter's moon. Would you like to do that right now? NASA unveiled a 50-second audio clip from Juno's Ganymede flyby at the American Geophysical Union fall meeting on Friday, generated from data captured on June 7th during the spacecraft's closest approach yet to Ganymede. The sound, similar to a robot or dial-up modem, is the latest fascinating return from the Juno mission's year-long exploration of the solar system's largest gas giant and its moons. Now, if you're a long-time listener of the show, you know that Jupiter is my favorite planet, aside from Earth, of course, which would be would have to have the number one spot because we can live here. But aside from Earth, the number two, I should say, would have to be Jupiter. Why? Because... Jupiter's gravitational pull is so strong, that's why I gravitate towards it now. <laughs> but the reason why is because it's so big, it, it helps protect us from asteroid impacts. There are a lot of things that would, would hit us if it weren't for Jupiter. It's kind of like our guardian in the solar system because it's so massive. It absorbs a lot of those impacts that could very well come our way. So that's why I dig Jupiter. Now, this audio comes from data gathered using Juno's Waves Instrument designed to measure radio and plasma waves detected in Jupiter's magnetosphere, the bubble of charged particles that envelope the gas giant. Now, Ganymede is Jupiter's largest moon and the only moon in the solar system to have a magnetosphere of its own. The emissions data collected from Ganymede was shifted to an audio range to make the recording according to the agency. Now, this soundtrack is just wild enough to make you feel as if you were riding along as Juno sails past Ganymede for the first time in more than two decades. Juno principal investigator Scott Bolden of the Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio said in a press release, Days prior to the audio being retrieved, NASA announced that the Juno spacecraft was going to be within 645 miles of the surface of Ganymede, the closest that it has ever been to it. The flyby provided a unique opportunity to study the moon, which hadn't seen a spacecraft approach it this closely since NASA's Galileo probe sailed past it in 2000. Scientists are continuing to study the waves data collected during the Juno flyby 
and attempting to decode what frequency change is present within the recording means. Now, in addition to the audio track, other speakers at the AGU provided updates on their latest findings of the Juno mission, including further exploration of Jupiter's magnetosphere. According to new findings gathered with a magnetic anomaly near Jupiter's equator, known as the Great Blue Spot, Jupiter has experienced a change in its magnetic field during the last five years, and the Great Blue Spot is slowly drifting eastward at approximately 2 inches per second, taking 350 years to make its way around the planet. The more familiar Great Red Spot, a violent anticyclone just south of the equator, drifts the opposite way at a faster pace, circling the planet every four and a half years. That's one heck of a storm, that Great Red Spot. Now, you ready to listen to this audio? Now remember, this audio comes from the radio and plasma waves that were detected in the magnetosphere. So this is the sound of Jupiter's moon, Ganymede. Sounds like a science fiction movie, does it not? Very cool. Again, this is Jupiter's moon, Ganymede. Now, those sounds that you just heard came from Jupiter's moon, Ganymede. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that moon. Now, it's bigger than Mercury and only slightly smaller than Mars. Ganymede may host more water than all of Earth's oceans in a subterranean ocean about 100 miles below its crust. And those sounds that you just heard from Ganymede, just to put this into perspective, Ganymede, just to give you some idea of how far away this moon of Jupiter's is from Earth, it is 516 million 955 thousand miles from earth so that audio came a long way and you heard it right here on cruising 92.1 wvlt on the s factor where it's all about science and that's about as cool as audio can get from space right it sounds like science fiction it sounds like something you'd hear from a science fiction movie but that was a real sound from ganymede jupiter's moon now earlier this year i devoted the main topic of one of my S-Factor shows, to the subject of rogue planets. I hadn't really heard of that too often before, if at all. And since then, it, has, it really intrigues me. It intrigued me then, and it intrigues me now. Because we usually think of, when you think about threats to Earth, you know, asteroids, comets... Those things are always in your mind. At least they're in, they're in mind if I think about threats from outer space to Earth. Threats to our existence. So, when I discovered rogue planets, when I, when I found out about them, uh, I thought they were quite interesting. I mean, here you have a rogue planet makes an asteroid or a comet look like child's play. I mean, these are full-size planets 
that are roaming around the galaxy. They are not bound to any star's gravitational pull. Maybe they were at one point. Something happened and knocked them off course. So they came up again in the news. I just want to go over this real quick because, again, it's just a very intriguing topic. Astronomers discovered dozens of rogue planets roaming the galaxy without a star. It's not the first time astronomers have discovered so-called rogue planets, but they thought it was a somewhat rare phenomenon until now. According to new research published in the journal Nature Astronomy, scientists have recently discovered an impressive number of these elusive exoplanets, 70 or more. It marks the largest such group ever spotted roaming the Milky Way, and it may be a crucial step in understanding the origins of the mysterious galactic nomad, scientists say. We do not know how many to expect and are excited to have found so many, said the author of the study in a press release. Most exoplanets are spotted using observations of their host stars, so finding these orphaned planets is considerably more difficult. But using decades of research, the group of scientists saw infrared energy emitted by between 70 and 170 of the gas giants young enough to still emit a detectable heat glow. We measured the tiny motions, the colors and luminosities of tens of millions of sources in a large area of the sky. These measurements allowed us to securely identify the faintest objects in the region, the rogue planets. The planets were discovered using a series of telescopes located both on Earth and in space, including the European Space Agency's very large telescope, and Gaia satellite. The planets with masses comparable to that of Jupiter are located within the Scorpius constellation. The findings indicate that there could be a treasure trove of cosmic wanderers just waiting to be found. There could be several billion of these free-floating giant planets roaming freely in the Milky Way without a host star. And finding more of these types of celestial travelers will help scientists understand their origins. Some hypothesize that they form from the collapse of a, a gas cloud that is too small to form a star companion, while others believe they could have been booted from their original parent system. Astronomers hope to continue their research using the forthcoming extremely large telescope, currently under construction in Chile's Atacama Desert. These objects are extremely faint and little can be done to study them with current facilities. The ELT will be absolutely crucial to gather more information about most of the rogue planets we have found. That's from CBS News. These rogue planets, to me, are terrifying. Uh, it's intriguing and terrifying at the same time. You don't want one of these things coming into our solar system, that I can tell you. But it's a phenomenon that I'd rather it be rare, <laughs> but according to the most recent findings, they think they're, they are quite plentiful out there. And that is just something that's really even hard to wrap your head around, this free-floating planet. Whoa. Awesome, awesome stuff. I love bringing stuff like that to you right here on Yes Factor. I want to thank you for joining me today. Happy New Year. It is 2022. I want to wish everyone out there a very healthy and prosperous New Year. And as always, I want to thank you for your support of the Yes Factor and science education here. That's what scienceanimated.net's all about. That's what this show is all about. And you can catch me here the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock on Cruise 92.1 WVLT or anytime on your favorite podcasting service. Just type in The S Factor Podcast. This show is such a pleasure for me to bring you. And if you want to check out any of my science animations, please do so on all the social media channels, facebook.com slash scienceanimated. 
twitter.com slash science animated and on tiktok at science animated and of course scienceanimated.net until next time everyone be well and stay curious this is chuck shazer of the s factor take care everybody you have been listening to the s factor brought to you by scienceanimated.net on cruiser 92.1 wblt